Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, a trustee of the Royal Academy of Arts and very proud to be so. Welcome to our podcast. I'd like to start tonight's discussion really with a bit of a timeline that relates to chair and by showing how powerful artworks in collections, both public and private, have what we can call social lives. They get moved about in the world and they have different relationships with people and spaces and institutions and they generate different meanings at different moments. Their images disseminate and circulate too, as we'll see. Controversial artworks can quickly become conventional and iconic. So what do we have in chair? Have all of you seen the exhibition? Some of you haven't, but what you'll find in front of you is a collection of images, many of which we'll talk about. So we have a female figure lying on her back, knees pulled up to her breasts, a cushion fixed on the back of her thighs and secured by a belt wrapped around her waist, her calves positioned to form a kind of backrest. She's wearing black leather hot pants and thigh-high leather stiletto boots. She isn't actually a she, but an acrylic painted fiberglass and resin object designed by Alan Jones and made in 1969 with Dick Beach, a freelance sculptor employed by mannequin and waxwork manufacturers, GEMS models. Alan Jones, in making this work, was responding to changing attitudes towards the erotic and women's bodies, attitudes he encountered around his studio in Kings Road, an area which was in the late 1960s what he calls a living theater. Jones's chair was not made to be used as a chair. So I think it's good to get those points out. So as I said, I'm going to take you through a timeline mentioning various historic incidents that relate in various ways to this work um, and the fact that this work was the subject of an attack in 1986. So let's go to 1914. On the 10th of March in 1914, Mary Richardson attacked Diego Velasquez's famous work, The Ripley Venus, which is, I think, the third image in our collection in the National Gallery. She did it as a form of protest against the imprisonment of Emily Pankhurst, but the action was also in line with the suffragettes' uh, strategy of attacking national buildings and properties of the state in their campaign for women's votes. Mary Richardson struck the painting several times with a meat chopper, causing deep gashes, and you can see what she did in the following image. She'd chosen the picture deliberately as the most beautiful painting in the world, and she said, I've tried to destroy the picture of the most beautiful woman in mythological history as a protest against the government for destroying Mrs. Pankhurst, who is the most beautiful character in modern history. (laughs) Justice is an element of beauty as much as color and outline on canvas. You can get another picture, but you cannot get another life. Later in life, she said what bothered her was the way men visitors gaped at it all day long. So let's go back to 1969. In 1969, the first image of what is now known as a page three glamour model, clothed, appeared in the Sun newspaper, which had been newly relaunched by Rupert Murdoch. By 1970, the model was topless. In 1970, Chair was exhibited at Arthur Tooth and Sons Gallery. The exhibition attracted high praise as well as criticism. In 1973, in Spare Rib, Laura Mulvey assessed Alan Jones's imagery as, 
quote, a fetishist image of women portrayed for men as figures in an amazing masquerade which expresses a strange male underworld of fear and desire, unquote. A few years later, in 1979, Lisa Tickner discussed his work in terms of the objectification of women's bodies. Then in 1981, when it was acquired by Tate, or what was then the Tate Gallery, Chair was valued for breaking new ground as an anti-canonical depiction of the female form, and one that resonated with pop arts objects of mass production and consumer capitalism, and what was then sexual subculture. On the 4th of March, 1986, a visitor wrote a letter to the director of the Tate Gallery, singling out Chair, which was on display as part of an exhibition called 40 Years of Modern Art for particular criticism. And she wrote, quote, I found the sculpture deeply offensive to my womanliness and to my sex. As a part-time lecturer in art and design, I feel responsible to react in some way. My immediate response, I wanted to kick it to small pieces and destroy it, was one of great anger that this piece had been selected as something which was revered as a valuable statement of art when it is nothing more than kinky pornography. The obscenity of the piece shows extreme insensitivity towards women, and I would like to see it removed from the exhibition. So that's what was in this letter. And then four days later... On the 8th of March, 1986, International Women's Day, two women poured paint stripper over the face of the woman in the sculpture. The damage to the surface of the sculpture, the skin, exposed the polyester resin underneath. Reporting on the incident, um, newspapers had various things to say, but the Mail on Sunday called the work porn chair, (laughs) and the attackers were never caught. Moving right along in our timeline... In 1997 to 98, Jemima Stelly made Chair, a work in which she photographed herself adopting the pose of the sculpture, wearing the boots but not the shorts. In 2013, Chair appeared in Tate Liverpool's exhibition Glam, the performance of style in a section exploring artifice and eroticism in the early 1970s. Also in 2013, at Free's Art Fair, Dasha Zukova sat on Bjarne Melgaard's pastiche of chair, an image which in itself raised issues of race, class, and gender, leading the media to brand Melgaard's work racist chair. And I mention that just to talk about the ways in which the original work of art has been disseminated, not only um, through images of the original work, but through other people's responses to it and then responses to those other people's works. So I'm going to end on what might seem um, a slightly tangential note, but I came across this last week in The Guardian. It was an article by the screenwriter for the 2002 film Secretary that featured a sexually dominant man and his submissive secretary. And the screenwriter is named Erin Cressida Wilson. And she was describing the challenges that they faced in making this this film. She said, no movie star would accept playing the lead in that film. To portray a submissive and to be spanked on screen would be a disastrous move for their careers. This is in 2002. Maggie Gyllenhaal took up the role, and there was criticism about the character, and um, at one point her character was supposed to find herself and become a lawyer herself, like her boss. 
she was supposed to be um, powerful in a way that appeared strong through a traditional feminist lens. But they stuck with the um, original plot. The screenwriter said, um, I didn't think this character had a problem at all. I decided that this was a coming-out film for a masochist. And she talks about the, the film screening at Sundance Film Festival, where she said that middle-aged feminists stomped out during the spanking scene. I'd sit on that bus that shuttled us through the snow between screenings and eavesdrop on conversations. When the subject of secretary came up, filmgoers would look sideways. No comment. After all, in 2002, educated filmmakers were not supposed to like this sort of thing. They were not supposed to like BDSM. And so we came away from Sundance with an honorable mention and exhaustion. We had not sold the film to a distributor. I had observed other films getting sold for $5 million. It was not a sexy situation. (laughs) Today, it seems that what was pornographic 12 years ago is passé and maybe even cliched. One generation's risque becomes the baseline for the next. So on that note, I'd like to turn to our speakers and have them talk a little bit about their own response to the work, and they've done this a little bit on the RA blog, but I thought we'd just revisit that briefly, um, and then we'll open up discussion further. Okay? Eden, shall I go first? Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, the first time I encountered um, an image of Alan Jones's chair, I must have been quite young, so I would still have been at school, so it must have been kind of 18, something like that. Um, and I thought it was alarming and quite shocking, but inc- incredibly interesting. Then when you see the work up close, which I've, of course, done a lot of recently, and particularly seen it in the context of the exhibition, it's less shocking, but it's more powerful. What surprised me, actually, when we kind of un- unpacked it in the galleries, the last time I'd seen it was in a domestic setting, but when I unpacked it in the galleries, it doesn't look as if it was made 40 years ago. It still has that kind of potency, energy, yes... It's a, it's a very strong work. Thanks. <laughs> Lindsay, would you like um, to uh, well, respond? <coughs> you read the blog, but um, I first saw it because my dad used to take me to the Tate Gallery when I was small. And um, I suppose when you're quite small, you see the things at ground level. So, And, you know, the paintings were there, but suddenly there was this amazing, beautiful woman. And I, of course, at that time didn't have any idea about it, sort of sexual connotations, so I was just thinking isn't she, isn't she pretty and beautiful <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then you know, and I, I, I just thought she was really lovely actually, and then when I, the next time I saw her I was a new intern at Tate and my boss was saying to me so Lindsay, you know, so you have to do a project for your internship you can have this Henry Moore stone reclining figure or this bearded terracotta bust from the 1900s or you can have this Alan Jones, he sort of opened the door and there was the Alan Jones because actually um, what we haven't said is that a couple of conservatives had already sort of got some of the way there to restoring and then it's sort of one of them had thrown up their hands and said she found it too difficult and someone else had got a little way and there she was in this tiny room and I thought, oh, cause it, because I still had that connection with her so I, I felt that she looked quite sad. She had no clothes and she was all, her face was all stripped and I sort of had quite an emotional reaction and wanted to bring her back. (laughs) Thanks, thanks. Oh, no, not me. (laughs) Um, 
I guess uh, my disclaimer is, you know, um, when I blogged for the Royal Academy website, um, I had a response from people on uh, certain people on Twitter, and we all know that people uh, say things to provoke or they're fake accounts. But I thought was interesting. Somebody said, surely Janusak should have the final say in what Alan Jones's piece is about. And I was like, well, I don't think anybody can have a final say about art, personally, but this is a personal response rather than an expert response. So I'm not sitting here as an expert telling you what I think and how right I am. Um, I weirdly, Alan's work has weaved its way through my professional life, um, and I've chosen to put myself in it, which you're not going to see images of, thank God. And I worked with Jemima Stelly as well. So that's kind of where I come into it. I think that Alan's work has a huge fashion reference, a media reference. As a consumer, you see him referenced a lot, and I guess that that's my remit as well. That's great. Um, I have some specific questions, but I thought to kick things off, I would let you know what our Twitter feed has brought us in terms of responses, and they're all quite varied. One says, woman as subject, but also objectified. However, do not find it as objectionable as much of today's advertising. So advertising is um, something that I'd like us to talk about. Danny said, <laughs> reflexive observation of commodified sex, power, gender. Thought provocative, not offensive. Okay. It would be really interesting. I know this is not ageist, but it would be really interesting to have people's ages next to, <laughs> you know, to be like 39. No, um, I think that um, one of the, the things that we were talking about earlier is, is uh, through time how the piece uh, has, by my, like my, my age, I'm 38, um, I, I seem to see it in a, in a different way than early feminists. And I think that it's by um, welcoming the piece, you, you, start, you stop becoming a, a, a victim uh, as a feminist. Um, so I think it's really interesting, like we were saying, like having different ages around the room to, to is it, is it a, a thing that you, we've just become used to seeing, so used to seeing images like this everywhere we are that it's no longer shocking or offensive, or, or is it still shocking and offensive? I think it's a radical feminist, radical feminist here. Have you got this? Have you guys got this? No. There's one here. Um, it's called, she's called, I'm, I'm assuming it's a woman. Radical feminist at Radical Feminist is her address. <laughs> Men degrade and sexually objectify women in BDSM poses and get to call it art, which I don't find that radical as a feminist statement much anymore. I, I, you know, if you're a radical feminist, I think that's, that's a somewhat dated perception of things. And I think a, a response to that is... Um do chip in, everyone, because we, <laughs> we've been talking about this before this event, and we could keep going. Um, another person says, if this depicted a man in S&M regalia as the chair, I doubt a single person would raise the issue of sexism. Art is all about provoking a reaction, and to some delicate souls this would be deemed offensive, demeaning, and sexist. Because of the obvious BDSM theme here, I think people might assume this piece is about brutality or of female suffering, which in fact would be incorrect. A sexually submissive woman gives herself freely to her partner, i.e. she isn't beaten into submission, it's her own choice. That, to my mind, is empowerment. 
So we have lots of different views, as I think we have in this room. Does anybody well. find it offensive? Yeah. I do. I can't look at it. So, and have you come tonight to learn anything new or to, to tell or to, or, or to like, for, for us? I mean, I'm sure that... I, 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 came basically, I guess I came because I was, I was interested. I mean, I remember... I suppose, I guess I maybe sort of vaguely remember the 1980, whatever it was, attack, attack, Uh vaguely. And I wondered whether, I mean, I I know that he's done other work, and I thought it would be interesting, you know, now that I'm older and all of the rest of it, to kind of see how it felt now. But Mm -hmm. now it's interesting, I can look at the Venus to Rokeby, but I can't look at at, at the chair, and I'm not. And does that go Mm -hmm. for the other? Two pieces of sculpture as well. The three of them were done done in the same year. The hat stand and the table. Do you find them just as difficult as the chair? I guess I don't know the one one enough. I mean, the chair is kind of the image which I think is 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 better. Well, maybe for his more recent sculptures, which are not. I mean, I think the furniture sculptures are quite atypical because the rest of his uh, figure sculptures are. Yeah, well, that's what I've read when I've read the exhibition that there's been a lot of work and, you know, it's possible that these pieces are kind of, I suspect they are of their time and all the rest of it. Would you find the rope be Venus offensive if she were wearing high heels in the sexy lingerie? Contemporary. Contemporary lingerie and high heels. Yes. It's the pose and the clothes that the woman is wearing in chair maybe that you find offensive rather than mm. the fact that she's simply naked. I think it's I, I, I think I think it's a position. Actually. Mm. Mm. I think it's I don't I don't think it's anything to do with nudity or clothing. Mm. I, I I think it's because of the way you know how she, how she's positioned. Mm. But there must be a lot of people who other. Exactly. Has anyone tried to get into that position? Because it's quite <laughs> <laughs> If you do if you do if you do yoga you do it regularly yeah. and worse, yes. <laughs> I think it's perhaps um, the fact that her kind of commodification um, seems more all the more overt because she is furniture. She is called chair, so she's no longer even woman. She's kind of she becomes a household object that can be bought and that can be. I think that's probably actually the more jarring thing, perhaps, than as you say, kind of the nudity or the lingerie we're actually confronted to very often. So. something that's really striking to me in terms of what yeah what constitutes her as a she but when we're talking about kind of you know patriarchal so much of it is power and within that especially within the kind of BDSM framework it's a kind of active and passive and in that comment it talks about you know, being submissive and I think that's the difference between the Jemima Sully where she's a living kind of active 
being and model as opposed to the mannequin and chair. It's just yeah, more of a doll. But, mm. And I guess Jemima's work, um, it, I think she was, a, a, as, as a feminist, trying to as I feel like, I, I would buy Alan Jones's work so that it, I would feel empowered by that, by owning it. I'm like, yeah, well, I've made my stamp, I've made the money, this, this is feminism to me, I can own that. I think Jemima is owning it in, in, in a different way. I think as an, an art, a female artist in the art world, there is a whole different layer of difficulty of being, um, A, a feminist, mm -hmm. and B, an artist. Mm -hmm. And she, and this was part of a series that she also put herself in uh, classically, questionably uh, misogynistic artists like Helmut Newton. Um, and, but then she also did herself as Francis Bacon, as pieces of work by Francis Bacon. Um, uh, so, um, but I, I, strangely that she chose um, Helmut Newton and Alan Jones because they're, I think they're very strong women. They are a vision of a very, uh, uh, you know, like a sort of female warrior in a way. So celebratory. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I feel that they are both. They are, they are, they love women. They don't mm -hmm. hate women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that they're a chair accentuates the modernity to what it's trying to say. Something like the Kegos bronze sculpture is very striking and powerful. Full body female form, but as a chair, is it not leading to the modernity? I think one of the things he, that Alan Jones says that he was reacting against was people's perception of, of um, sculpture at the time, because of course figurative sculpture was going through a very interesting period at that time in British art. And he, of course, you know, the whole concept of the pop artist was to bring the figure back into a kind of central position within the painting and, and they all did that to a certain extent but it was something that Alan continued with when the others were kind of going off in slightly different directions. So the figure was something that he then wanted to bring off the canvas and put it in a central position in, in sculpture. And when you think at that stage, you know, people like Tony Caro were, you know, he was a very dominant figure then. To bring back figurative sculpture, to do it in something that wasn't bronze, to do it in a very non-traditional pose, was quite a radical thing to do. He deliberately put these models in the form of furniture so that he was bringing it away from that concept of the fine art. It was to do with action, it was to do with sitting. He was, bring, he was trying to encourage the viewer to bring a different set of, of, of reactions towards the sculpture, which artistically was a brave thing to do, and he, he knew he was being brave at the time. He didn't expect the feminist backlash to happen. That was something that was a surprise to him at the time. Yeah, I think he was massively trying to rattle the bars of this art establishment yeah, that he was... Yeah. Well, you know, because he was expelled from the Royal Academy, wasn't he? So it feels as if it's a piece College, that's, yeah, that's yeah. Um, definitely trying. I mean, you know, definitely trying to cause an effect, but not. I mean, not within the community of women that, that later caused such yeah, an effect. You yeah. know, he, he, he wasn't thinking of that, I don't think. When he made. Well, he talks about he wanted to offend the art establishment, <laughs> but in the process, he offended the feminist movement and his timing was, was, you could say it was terrible actually because you just had that very strong second wave of feminism coming through when he first showed his works in, in 1970 and that was something that he um, had, to, had to deal with and I think it was very difficult for him at the time. Mm. I mean 1976, uh, it was based on the King's Road and 1976 you've got Westwood 
and the punk movement and bondage trousers, and that's all happening on the King's Road as well. And uh, again, I guess the, the shocking headlines of of punk, of, of things trying to, to move the establishment, of, of trying to be anarchic, that kind of sits with, with uh, art and life going mm. on as, as well. Mm. Um, no, I think you're right. I mean, he does talk about walking down the King's Road during those years and just seeing ever-increasing... Um, you know, people exploring fashion in remarkable ways and, you know, clothes becoming more um, clinging and, and less present and, you know, all of those things. So he was well, witnessing... Westwood's that. shop was, and McLaren's shop was called Sex and they sold bondage suits yeah, and bondage yeah. trousers and, you know, and the, and the female staff who worked there dressed in this kind of, uh, in underwear and bondage gear as their choice. But the bondage gear is something, it was a very interesting choice for Alan to make and I, I, I spoke to him quite recently actually about how he why he chose that and he said well I wanted to show the figure and it, it was clear from fetish magazines and adult comics that you know that sort of clothing really showed up a female form which I wanted to do he also said I was, I was also conscious that I didn't want to dress them in the clothes of the time even though they look very um, of the moment, he said I didn't want to do that what's Quite interesting, what I, I, I kind of put to him is, did he know that fetish clothes weren't going to date in the way that any other clothing you can think of would be dated now? And had he put the models in a beaver dress, they'd look like a Dwayne Hansen piece. But he didn't, he put them in fetish clothing and they still look just as current today as they did 40 years ago. And he said, well, no, I, I, I didn't know that, but of course it's, you know, it's true. It's an instant reference, isn't it? And I mean, there were other people doing that sort of real figure thing, like Dwayne Hansen yeah, and, yeah, and Ed Keenholz yeah, and people right, like that. Yeah. But I think he was really trying to step away. And so this, as well, I think, in sculpture, this whole idea of this very super real, which later, you know, Jeff Koons and people really sort of carried mm -hmm. on. And um, Ron Muick with his amazing super real figures. I think that's a, a massive strand in sculpture that he was actually at the vanguard of. And I mean, in a way, this issue has, over, has kind of clouded that as well, I think. You know, so it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a shame. Mm. I mean, she's on a rug. You know, <laughs> he, he cares for her. You know, she's not uncomfortable. I had to go and buy the rug for the Tate's one because she'd lost the rug. And he was very... Uh, he was very distinct about the fact that she should have a rug because talking of the super real he said otherwise her hands look like these hands of a dummy on the yeah, floor they, they, look they a bit slightly sink him to the rug don't they yes, and they she's not real. really supposed to be in a plinth he didn't want her in a plinth yeah. we have to for the for the show mm. yeah. yeah that's why they made a connection with the floor and yet at the time um fetish clothing is part of a subculture mm. that isn't that that wasn't known about and when when I'm you think about it, I was going to say I'm guessing yeah. that Alan as an artist would have been part of a privy to those subcultures not the Cynthia Payne sort of yeah, well, you know yeah. suburban sort of sex clubs but I'm guessing it you know, this was happening this is what everybody else was kind of doing. But I think it came very much out of pop art you know that he was he became very interested like they all did in advertising he became very interested in the figure in advertising. Of course, you know, Palozzi and, and Hamilton were as well. And when he went to America, he was 
amazed, you know, because it's 1960s, Britain was, you know, quite dingy compared to America, everything seemed brighter and bigger, and he was amazed at the advertising there, and he loved the, the mail-order catalogues with women's underwear, and, you know, loved looking at all of that and loved the imagery. And it was actually David Hockney who pointed out to Alan in about 1964 that Alan's drawings at that time, he was doing a lot of those hermaphrodite works with the male and female figure fusing together, they reminded David of um, adult comics. And Alan started to look at these adult comics and, and, and said, yeah, actually, you know, there's a real kind of, you know, there's that very strong line, he loved the imagery, and he was, he was off. And, and he started collecting loads of those magazines. So that's how he got into that, that area. There was, there was also um, John Sutcliffe, I think, who, who did a lot of the leather pieces. I mean, he was also working on the Emma Peel. Oh, that's yes. exactly The ultimate power yeah, leather yeah, suit. Yeah. And um, Barbarella at the same well, time. Well, if you look you know, at so what was happening in fashion with yeah. Courage, with the miniskirt, with op art, and, and metal dresses, I mean, they don't exactly look comfortable. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I made a, a parallel with, you know, fashion as a strict mistress. You know, if you if you subscribe to the pain which is constantly changing, spending all your money on, on clothes every season and particularly uncomfortable clothes, there is this, um, this strict mistress which I think with the commercial references that he makes and then the full circle that he's gone with the new Kate Moss pieces, mm. I think that there is, he's, um, he's also a, a cultural sponge. As an artist, he's showing us what, as a reflection of what's going on in, in mm. a collective mind as mm. well. No, I think that's right. And Lindsay mentioned um, Emma Peel, and he's, he's always been very, very interested in, um, in film and photography, and that's something that he's always... And, and in fact, that feeds into his work, you know, the storyboarding as well. That's, that's very present. And he contributed to um, Clockwork Orange. He did, indeed. Sorry, I'm, I'm not looking <laughs> properly as a <laughs> I'm not... I grew up, uh, uh, went to school, and there was a girl in front of me, and she was 10 years old, and I was 10 years old, and she had ringlets, and we're talking about the 40s, and she would draw with an Alan Jones uh, wonderful stiletto, and then go up the leg and make those wonderful legs. She was obsessed with women's legs. And then, it was, and then she put the dress on, or the bathing suit, usually a two-piece or something. And um, what I'm thinking about these is they're... Nobody said anything about the superficiality of them and the triviality of them because these women are kind of a little bit fake, and but they're so pretty. <laughs> just imagine, I, I love them. Uh, just imagine if they were done by that little guy that does the little men with the realistic, you know, Joe Mork, Mork, is it Mork? Or even Rodan, or even Jenny Savile, or any of them that did warts and all type of sculptures. It would be <laughs> horrific, wouldn't it? Well, isn't, isn't, isn't that what that is? Hairy legs and all that. Oh. Yeah. Jemima, Jemima didn't wax her vagina to do this. <laughs> so she did. She did this piece, and she was unwaxed, hairy armpits, hairy vagina. You know, so she didn't. So what you're saying is, possibly that's quite disgusting. But this is a real life. Well, that she's real. That's a real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm talking about sculptures only. But I think they're they're pretty, and to hell with feminism. But they're useful and pretty, and but they would be horrible if they were done by other sculptures. Alan Jones makes them acceptable, just like 
they're, they're, they're mannequins. Did, did mm-hmm. you see the, the Paul McCarthy pieces in the Human Factor in the Haywood? Not yet, they were wax vaginas. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Super real. God. I mean, I think that also it raises the point: if they were, if this was made, if this was made by a woman, would we even be sitting around talking about it? Probably not. Mm. Uh, and there are female photographers. Like Ellen von Unworth is a prolific fashion photographer, and she mostly shoots only women, sexualized women. Uh, and as a feminist, I don't accept that as a, you know, that's a feminist statement. I find her, she objectifies women just as much as, mm. as men do. So I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, a particularly strong feminist argument anyway. But a lot of uh, people that I know in my generation are refusing to come to this exhibition because they're absolutely disgusted with Alan Jones. It's so ridiculous, isn't it? Crazy. But they won't come. Have they seen? Do you think they've seen much? I mean, because for me, people get disgusted at a distance. I feel that that happens quite often with shows I've been involved in, and people go off and talk and go, oh, it's terrible. And they have, you know, then you say, well, have you been? And they haven't, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like the Tracy M in bed. People got outraged by that at a distance, you know. From the Daily Mail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I want to know how you repaired the thing. <laughs> <laughs> how did you do that? <laughs> it took a while. It took a while. Yes, it was a painstaking, painstaking thing. It took a, six months. It took less than six months, but actually, uh, yeah, maybe a couple of months to kind of talk to people and and talk. It, it was good. It's good if you have a sculpture that is so badly damaged to have the artist there to talk to. I mean, the fact that he came in and could give me his opinions on how he wanted it to look is incredibly important because. Had it been a much older piece of art and the artist wasn't around, in a way you can't be, in a way you can you can undertake a more interventive treatment. And sometimes people do less restoration, and they leave a little bit more of the mark of the damage there because they're worried that it's too interventive otherwise. But at least Alan wanted her to be completely repainted and possibly remade, and so we came to a sort of because the, the thing with conservation is that you're supposed to keep as much of the original material as you can. So we came to a compromise and uh, I just retouched the bits that were damaged. Can I ask, you know earlier that you said um, that a woman had said that she, she you know, held up her hands and said, I, I can't do it. Was yeah. that for um, political reasons or she was just like, I don't know, where, I don't know how to do it? Was no, it a technical she, was, thing she was made uncomfortable by it. I think she started off working on the figure. She was a conservator and she started off working on the figure and then she became more uncomfortable with it. Mm. Could she rationalise that? Or? I don't think she could. And I think, um, I mean, to me... I tend to sort of get quite academic about all my projects and, mm. and I just, I, I'm looking at the materials and how I'm going to solve the problem and so I sort of zoom in in that way. There are so many pieces of art where I suppose in theory you could get shocked and walk off the, sta- walk off the stage and go, no, I refuse. But I mean, I don't think Alan Jones's chair was one of them for me, but it's, it's legitimate, I suppose, for people to do that. And there was another person who got some of the way there, but it was, it was quite a tricky restoration and um, he hadn't been brought in until I started it. So actually I think his involvement was very helpful in making decisions really. You know, I know it must be distressing for any artist if their work's damaged, but I know from talking to him, and you must have, have heard this from him as well, how upset he was at, at seeing the work damaged. Yeah. He said it was like one of his children yeah. um, being, being hurt in some way. Yeah. It was, it, I think it was a very painful thing for him to go through. It was, yeah. And I think he was pleased to engage in it. 
but I don't really think any piece of art, regardless of how offensive or whatever people see it as being, should be taken off the planet. I mean, I think these are people's comments, their works mm -hmm. of art, and uh, that to me is, is like burning books. You know, mm -hmm. it, just because you disagree with it, you destroy it. Well, that, that seems like a very mm -hmm. strange and no response. Yeah. 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 Sorry. <laughs> I think like even these like restoration pictures are so interesting and as we can this one it looks like a facial peel. It does. It's <laughs> so interesting that like even the restoration is sort of going back to this perfect use of mannequin and this kind of mannequin feminine perfection because we've all been saying how universally how pretty she is and how appealing <laughs> to women and mannequins as being kind of objects that sell things to women and sell kind of aspiration mm -hmm. to women and it's kind of great to see this this kind of facial peel that again kind of like sells a dream to women of rebirth. That's a really interesting point. Do you think that, I was just thought of Pygmalion, you know, the sculptor, and then he, what's he breathe life into her? Yeah. 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 Just imagine, mm -hmm. do you think that men think, ooh, she'd only come to life? <laughs> I'd love to yes. ask the men here, <laughs> do they fantasize about these women coming to life? Well, that goes back to Laura Mulvey's It does, yeah. exactly. Yeah. We were talking about the, the image of the, um, the face, the wrinkly paint, because to me uh, it brings up um, the image of, of someone having one of those horrible acid attacks, you know, because that has happened. More Katie recently. Piper. I mean, I can see at, at the time what, why it's really, uh, you know, offensive to women at the time where they were being portrayed... You know, I think in in very limited ways, mm -hmm. and then to again as a, to to be portrayed in a way that they're like really well, we've got to fight harder, and this is being revered as a piece of art. And I think now that we, you know, you, that you can undo the the meaning of this. Like S and M gear is incredibly long uh, and difficult to get on, and so. Uh, I think that the fact that she isn't nude like like cl classical art would like the Rogue B Venus um, there shows like this woman mentions here because of the obvious BDSM I think that people assume this is brutality but you don't engage in this kind of uh, activity without being a willing party to it and I think that these I think Alan Jones's portrayal of clothes and makeup through all of his work is, is, is an interesting mm -hmm. subject in itself. The reason that, that he's used clothes at all and put underwear on her um, instead of exposing her, exposing her backside like the rope Venus. You know, um, I came about looking at all of his images when I did my top five choice of the, of the exhibition. And I thought, you know what, I would rather be, I see more of myself in his sculptures than I do in a, I call them, and they, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it because it got cut from the, from the blog, I call them you know, um, uh, classical fuck cushions. You know, <laughs> like, you're just like some like, sub submissive, like sort of doughy, you know, always ready to, to re receive. And these women aren't, they're challenging. Uh, she, you know, she, it's like to get rubber knickers off, it's a whole, it would be a, a whole you know, process. Um, they're being paid. <laughs> I'm sorry. They're being paid. I get the feeling they're being paid. Oh, oh really? They're so they're prostitutes. And they're being paid a lot of money to get in these poses. Oh, so, yeah. 
if you fantasize about them, there they are in the pose, and then they've got a belt around the chair thing. So, you know, it's not, it's just been put there. Well, so it couldn't possibly, the, uh, and then I think what I find a lot of um, they, people find hard to, um, to think about is that it's about female sexuality that women like this. I think that is more offensive to most people than, than any of it, really. It's like, what well, a woman yeah, would... dominatrix and all that sort of thing, too. Look at the black boots. Apparently, they were very hard to put on, you know. Did you read that? They were very hard to put Incredibly on. Incredibly difficult to put on, those little boots. Only my boss, the head of sculpture conservation, could actually get those boots on because he had no, well, this particular one had no movable feet. <laughs> it's incredibly difficult to get them on. And, I mean, there was quite an element of comedy, really, with the struggling to get the boots back on and things. Welcome to my career. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, that's exactly what you were saying. But you're right, I think they, are. they were very long winded, I can attest to that, to get on. In terms of that taboo of like women liking this, it's interesting to consider um, Lars von Trier's like, volume two of Nymphomaniac, mm-hmm. where um, it shows kind of Charlotte Gainsborough as protagonist, as female protagonist who actively goes and seeks out like BDSM and being in a passive position and kind of pursues it. And I think that was really kind of controversial like today, just mm-hmm. for like that's such a clear sort of portrayal of actually like female sexuality and actually women um, seeking out passivity, which is, oh, yeah, to be passive. Which I think is kind of hard for people to digest, especially when, you know, the new catchphrase that Cheryl Cole was saying um, about being strong women. I, I hate the phrase strong woman because it just means absolutely what, what muscular strong or, you know, uh, you know it's, it means nothing, but it, mean, it is it's supposed to mean everything. Um, and I think that there is a, a kind of strength in, there's very much a strength in Alan Jones' women. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, mm-hmm. again, like situating it in kind of contemporary feminism, and so much of people's problem with the sculpture is that we perceive it to be degrading, but I think where feminism is today in terms of you know, the last one, Trier, or say like Lena Dunham, or the secretary. Girls, mm-hmm. as perceiving it as taking ownership of what is seen as degrading mm-hmm. and kind mm-hmm. of putting that mm. yeah, to, to put themselves in their own, in that situation. Yeah, and when you think about when, when this work was made, as, as we've all talked about, um, <coughs> this was um, not this particular pose, but the, the pretty woman, the pretty made-up woman, always available, was kind of the, the ideal woman at the time, mm. and there weren't that many alternatives that were as strongly promoted, so you can, it's, you know, it's very understandable, and, th- and thinking about the feminist movement from the 70s, really, I, well, I would say through the 80s, which is my, you know, where my experience of it started, um, we, we um, weren't, we weren't doing things um, like body protests or naked protests, which a lot of feminists are doing now to make their points. Um, uh, events like slut walk <laughs> are out there, and the the issue of the body and bearing the body or displaying flesh um, wasn't a political issue in the same way that it is now. It seems to me, in terms of the form that protests are taking, and it's quite interesting to see that yeah. difference. And that again, that's why I think most people in 1986 or in 1970 wouldn't necessarily know much about BDSM um, or understand, ah, she's in a passive pose, etc. I think the dominant meanings were quite different 
in the first yeah. two decades of its of its life. Yeah, yeah. I suppose yeah. the whole connection with the, with the sculpture and this feminist narrative and whether people are offended by it. I mean, we're still talking about it now yes. in terms of are people offended by it. But in a sense, is this completely irrelevant? <laughs> because it's not, it wasn't made to be offensive. Yeah, exactly. And Alan Jones himself yeah. is deeply upset yeah. by this constant narrative about yeah. people being offended. He was very upset indeed with the inclusion of the sculpture in our exhibition Art Under Attack because he didn't want people to be reminded of the fact that people had hated enough to attack it. But for artists to provoke, you were saying yes. that he's an yes. incredibly yes. intelligent man, so... Yeah, and I think he's, yeah. he's deliberately been ambiguous about what his purpose was behind the work. I mean, you can always say that artists don't own the content yeah. of their work. But, it's I, a but viewer what, that what, what, does. what he said was that he was sick of this constant narr um, negative narrative and he mm. wanted to get back to people understanding it as a work of art. Of course, no, and I think, you, you know, in retrospect, you can see, and I think he sees himself, that in, in some ways those works have defined his career, mm -hmm. and not in a particularly positive way. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we've tried to do in the exhibition here is put them in the context of his work, which, when you see them there... We hope that people will react to them in a slightly mm. different way. We've separated them. They're yeah. not. They're not a. Yeah. a, a but unit. on the other hand, you, you, you can't divorce the controversy around the work because it, it, it's it's still present. Yeah. I mean, you, you said but there, you know, people who weren't yeah. going to come to yeah. the exhibition. You know, they're still very powerful works. One yeah. of the interesting um, moments we had at the beginning of the show, we were doing some press work with Channel Four, and they got Laura Mulvey in. Now she mm. was one of the people that one of the feminist commentators that talked about it in the seventies, mm. and she was lovely. Actually, it was very pleased to meet her and, and um, I talked to her about it after she'd done her interview and I said well how do you find it coming back and seeing it 40 years on and she mm. said I find it just as strong she mm. said I find it just as difficult mm. and I thought that was yeah. that was interesting and to me I read that as it's a very strong work of art mm. Mm. and we can see that in, in the its dissemination yeah. um, in yeah. other forms yeah. as well yeah also, he's a very young artist at the time, if you think about the young British artists and, you know, the splash they wanted. I mean, the show here, Sensation, with all those mm, pieces yeah. of art that were so obviously just trying to, mm. you know... The Chatham Brothers, and they're 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 those pieces far more sort of really... Well, gosh, yeah. And, of course, yeah. they, they yeah. rely on Alan Jones. That, he, that, that part well, they're of the trajectory, part of them. so is Sarah Lucas, mm -hmm. and as exactly. you mentioned before, Jeff Coons. You mm -hmm. know, yeah. they wouldn't... And, yes, they are more shocking. And they're be, more offensive. I'd be intrigued to see how many of those works of art will endure as much as these will, though. I think that's quite interesting because I think some of them are, some of the works that are in the Sensation Show were fantastic, but some of them were about a shock factor, and once that's gone, mm. you know, what's, maybe there's not a massive amount left. But I do think when you're a young artist, you want to make a splash, so I do wonder if part of it was... was a Can I ask this lady, are you offended by the Barbie doll? <laughs> that was invented in 1959, you know. Listen, I read the whole no, history no, of the no, 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 just to be clear, we've been talking about the history of feminism. I was at university in the 70s. I went to work on the city in the late 70s, early 80s. Frankly, life is hard enough, you know. And I could just see this. We're surrounded, we're in a very convivial group here. It's been very... And please, you know, I also think feminism... I do think feminism is about choice. It's totally about choice. And whatever you want to do, you know, that's fine. That has always been fine with me. But if I think about my own life, and if I think about the city now, this image would be in a gallery fine. Mm -hmm. But can you imagine this? Mm -hmm. You know, in a, the lobby of a 
it's all to do with context. Yeah. 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 And I suppose, yeah. that's, that's what, I suppose that's what I have so strongly in my mm. mind because I know that there are here we're, we're open minded. Mm-hmm. But you show this. To, I don't know how many people outside the London intelligentsia. Mm-hmm. And but what, what about magazines that young girls are reading now uh, with uh, images of themselves well, which are... Well, I think, but they, they are all in, within the same context of yeah. female representation. Sure, no, no, sure. sure. Um, and so, I, you know, I kind of think that there are... The, the oh, way sure. that women are sold... Oh, sure, pop stars and yeah. Cyrus yeah. and all, yeah, they idolise them. Um, but also, in a in a way that women are being refed images of themselves and how they're meant to be, uh, I think mm-hmm. that the you know the difference between the passive and the strong, um, to strong women. Oh. <laughs> um, 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 I find shampoo adverts offensive. Yeah. Not the way that I find this. I just find it, it's a, a, a like a ridiculous. This whereas this is a fantasy of of, it's actually an idea. But what we're being sold is how you should be. I find that much more claustrophobic, much more, um, much more dangerous, actually. Yeah. But I think I think what I think what you're suggesting, though, is the fact that, as we've all been discussing, that meanings lie in the mind of the beholder. Well, I think and, I, I, I think there's and, a lot in that. Yeah. I think it's probably in part because of the way, you know, because of. Timelines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's yeah. But I don't. But I agree with. I think you said, Lorna Fanny. I don't think the power of this image has in any way reduced. Uh-huh. I think it's simply uh-huh. because yeah. perhaps people. I don't know how many people know it actually, mm-hmm. and perhaps there's often people who don't know it who have rediscovered it yes. uh-huh. through the exhibition. But it's powerful. It mm-hmm. is powerful. Mm-hmm. And all the point that, you, you know, raised was, was an incredibly interesting one that you know when you it, it's fine art that's what Alan has made it as a work of fine art and he's absolutely adamant about that when you see it within the context of the exhibition sure. you get that it, yeah. it makes sense but take it away from that and yeah. put it in a place that's kind of you know you're talking about the city somewhere that's very male dominated where women don't hold yeah. quite as powerful positions as the men and it starts to have a, a, a much more uncomfortable presence yeah. I've, I've been in that position yeah. working on sculptures where you know there'll be people sort of you know because you're suddenly taken outside that and there'll be yeah. people leering or doing really sort of lewd things with the figures and, <laughs> and then it's quite true what you say it's quite true you take it out of its context and I suddenly feel quite anxious because I'm suddenly yeah. in this place where people are yeah no, yeah, really. orange. don't they use a similar in a clockwork orange mm-hmm. yeah, bar, yes. the similar yeah. Yeah. can I just say that that's the thing about uh, sculpture and objects when you talk about Alan being upset about and surprised that it's been attacked I was thinking that you know the difference between a figurative sculpture and a statue in take it out of context and that disappears and Figurative objects provoke response, as you of course, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and so that is bound to happen with yeah. something like that. Yeah. You know? So, so I think that idea that he's sort of sentimentally attached to it, I, I find that odd. You know? <laughs> <laughs> of course, you're going to provoke these objects, and you know it, you know, whatever. And also, I find that this idea that his work is pretty. I've got, I've got this issue with this because I think they're really generic and I also think that Kate Mostyn I, f- I find that offensive not, not um, for all the reasons that you might think but because of this fetishisation of ha- what a thigh is meant to look like 
and how how these yeah. figures, you know, this strong woman kind of mm. idea. And uh, well, they've all got the same body, haven't they? They've all got the same body. It's really bland. It's almost like nothingness. I find I find the Kate Moss work really boring. Boring. And exactly. and from it's, the fashion in coming with the fashion background, I'm just like, oh my god, Kate Moss is amazing. And I just find it so. I find that that his weakest work as well because he removes the fantasy of of what a woman is and goes, this is what this is Kate Moss. And you're like, it's it's like an advert. And I'm hoping that he's using all well, of those things. Well, I think the, the photograph is the thing that works best. Yes, yeah. Because he um, he wanted to take a photograph of her. And he's very good at photography, he's very good at lighting, of course, as most artists are. Um, and he realised, actually, it would just look like a fashion shoot. Mm, mm. Um, and then he thought about putting the body on her, which is the classic Alan Jones body that he made in the, in the 70s, and it becomes something else, mm. and then she becomes an Alan Jones artwork, and I think so, that does work. So I think it's interesting, because I, I see the Kate Moss works as more leaning towards fantasy, and I think that's something that's kind of mm. within all this kind of discussion, it's this distinction between... The, like the mundane, as you mentioned, and the kind of mythical. And I think we find, as a culture, kind of representations of women so much more palatable if they are framed in quite a fantastical, mythical way, like the Coombs, and it's kind of this baroque, mm. really like mm. hyper-saturated image. I think we find that much less offensive. Well, Kate Moss is almost like a mannequin of, of a woman anyway. Mm. She, do, you know, they're famously, she doesn't speak, she doesn't have opinions on things. And she has become, <laughs> well, not publicly anyway. Um, she. Uh, no. She's incredible. Yes, I'm sure yes. she is. That's why There's she's so famous. Girl, she's neither big nor little, nor. She <laughs> looks kind of tall, but she's not really tall. She's, so, she's incredible. And very, very lovely. Yeah. But do you think there's a, 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 a kind of relationship between all of the women and then, and then the Kate Moss? She's, she's almost. She's a mythical mannequin. They're all ideal in, women. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she's culturally become this kind of goddess. Like I was thinking earlier, it just came to my mind, the, um, again, Kate Master Mark Quinn, where she's in the kind of yoga. Yeah, and, yeah. And that is such mm -hmm. a kind of mythical image and stuff. Well, it, it's also, you know, it, it's, he's a pop artist. And I think that, you know, unlike all of the other people that came out of the Royal College in the 60s, he's remained true to that. Mm. And it's kind of obvious that he would work with someone who is such pop a, icon. a pop icon. Mm. You know, they're, they're kind of made for each other. It was just a matter of time before they got together and, and did something. But, I put I put the Jeff Koons image in because um, I I wanted to sort of just say that I thought that the that the chair had taken he was so um, I think he was very keen to take sculpture away from this traditional very safe a very classical idea. Like um, when I first started working at the Tate, there's a very nice marble called Diana Wounded, and she's got a bandage mm. around the top of her leg in exactly the place where a, a stocking top would be. But it's all clouded in this lovely Greek, you know, sort of, oh, well, it's classical, so it's okay. And she's marble, so it's okay, and she doesn't look like a real person. So we all like it. But, um, and he was obviously trying to sort of break away from that completely, I think, with this work. But I think it's interesting that Jeff Koons then in. Um, sort of riffing off him a great deal, I think, has then gone right back to the classical with this work and has sort of gone right back to this sort of snaky um, classical sort of environment for this, for this work. And again, the super real, the very sort of shocking uh, reality. But it's very true, you know, the idea of material, if this chair was all in bronze. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. it's it's in bronze, it would be... Yeah. Material go, and colour, the, the, the role that colour plays in... Um, in sculpture, and it can it can change 
it can change the reception of the work. Um, did, Lindsay, did you ask that the Gibson yes. was um, yeah. included? This is a this is a sculpture by John Gibson called Tinted Venus from 1851 to 56, which was controversial in its time because um, it wasn't it wasn't completely left in its original material, marble. It was painted, um, bits of the body were painted. And, yeah. um, and it goes back historically, because, I mean, the, sorry, the, um, that whole idea of people thinking that Greek sculpture was, was not painted for so long because yes. it, no yeah. paint survived. So I suppose in, in this period of time when he made this, people suddenly discovered, oh, it was painted, and he made this. But there's this story that he had her in... I think she's got this really long date, 51 to 56, 1851 to 56, because um, he had her in his studio for a really long time and sort of fell in love with her. I find this whole idea <laughs> of the, the artist sort of, um, you know, that she almost came alive. I find that a really sort yeah. of interesting idea and very much relates to, to this kind of figure to me. Why can't a woman be displayed in rubber knickers and it be powerful to a woman rather than be displayed like this and it's pure? You know, why is there not a purity to, to uh, the, the S&M, the bondage thing about, um, about that process that you go through as a purification process? Why, why is it white marble, something like that is pure? She could be a whore for all we know. We're um, about to wrap up here, and I just wanted to have one more question yeah, or just contribution. Um, Lindsay said about the whole thing being like a mannequin. It reminded me of the film Mannequin. Mm. And how That's based on Pygmalion as well. Sort of like he didn't want to let it out for people to see it because he sort of fell in love with it, which is basically the whole story of the film. And it's sort of like that's how I felt by looking at the chair. It's like as um, the lady said down there, like a generic woman, it's just, mm. you you know it's a woman, but <laughs> it doesn't hold you in the sense that you don't look at it and think, oh, that's me, it's mm. just yeah. this generic, you know, mass-produced person that you mm. see in shops and mm. that kind of stuff, so it doesn't really... The objectness of, yeah. of that and the yeah. sort of closed-offness mm. yeah. of it. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, it's playing in that ready-made thing, mm -hmm. isn't it? The yeah. Of art aesthetic. Nobody's mentioned pornography. <laughs> <laughs> we did talk about the label porn chair earlier, but we didn't, we didn't get into it. We could have talked about all sorts of other things, but I think we've covered quite a lot, actually. Can I just thank our speakers here for making a provocative <laughs> debate happen? Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more information about the Royal Academy, please visit www.royalacademy.org.uk.